us as leaders, I mean, now is really the best time to do that and not ask for permission because there's no room for that. You know, we need to be responsive and rapid and, and relevant, you know, and really changing our mindset around situations and being really solution-based because there is no other now. Like we just have to do it now. The workforce landscape is rapidly changing and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us, you the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together, and it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo, and this is The Future of Work. Hi, and welcome back to the Future of Work podcast. I'm Christina Barsi, the co-host and executive producer of the show. And today we're flipping the script a little because I will be talking with our usual host, Salvatrice Kumo, Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College, about her journey in finding new solutions amidst the changes occurring while being at the crux of education, policy, and industry as they intersect and arguably have become even more important as entities to work together now. So welcome, Salvatrice. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I mean, you're here all the time, but now we get That's to right. be, <laughs> we're in reverse. I get to not just introduce the show, but actually talk with you, which I'm excited about. Me too. So just to jump right in and say that the work you're doing now seems to have risen almost overnight in importance from my perspective. And I can imagine how busy and overwhelming that must be now that we're five months into this change, this experience, this pivot. Let me ask you, what were the first moments like as the world was shutting down economically, but policy and its supportive entities and educational institutes like PCC had to pivot and develop support systems basically overnight. What, what was that experience like and how did you rise to the occasion? Right. You know, when, when I hear the word shutdown, in my humble opinion, there really was no shutdown or there is no shutdown for educational institutions um, because, you know, now more than ever is when our industry partners and policy we're working together to kind of solve some really complex issues and it really has forced us to pause and take a look at those complex issues but in the immediate you know to address kind of like you know what happened to us at the at the forefront of shutting down and what did it look like for us to support our community just as businesses had to pivot right? Businesses had to pivot the way they engage with their customers. They had to pivot on how they deliver their products and or services. 
some are excelling and others are not depending on what the industry is, we too had to do that same thing. We too had to pivot our model and our approach to supporting our community members. You know, one of the ways that we did that really, really well is through one of our products called the SBDC, the Small Business Development Center. You know, we had to ramp up super quickly to provide wraparound services to the business community. And honestly, it actually really happened before the shutdown, before the official shutdown, because of where we are geographically located in the San Gabriel Valley area. The San Gabriel Valley area has the majority of Asian American restaurants. And there was a lot of discrimination that was happening right before the shutdown against the Asian American restaurant community. And they were faced with significant losses. And so we were, we were actually right, you know, we were ahead of the curve on the shutdown and providing services to the restaurant community, specifically that specific community. But in general, as a whole, like once the shutdown happened, you know, we had to increase our team to provide the support in navigating through the CARES Act and other federal funding reliefs that that was out there for our business community. Not only did we have to increase our team, but we had to also be very intentional in the partnerships with our local economic development agencies. What did that look like? What were the partnerships that were intentional to support this community? Yeah, for sure. And so some of those, some of that intentional partnerships was working closely with municipalities to getting the word out to businesses on how they can receive support in navigating through this very complex system of the CARES Act and the other federal funding. So working with channels on doing, you know, public service announcements on outreach, on, you know, working with, for example, the, the San Gabriel Valley Economic Partnership and the LAEDC and voicing some of the concerns that the businesses have so that they can then be advocates for policy or be advocates for us in addressing policy. But the biggest, you know, partnership for us in providing these wraparound services to our business community at a very delicate, rapid time was working with the municipalities and saying, hey, could you help us get the word out? And using their channels of distribution to help us do that. And then, of course, you know, our one-on-one appointments. I mean, we, we've we done not only, you know, webinars, of course, around this work, but the one-on-one help was significant in really providing the community the services that they needed. And it was not just about funding. It was about how do I market to my customer differently? It was about, you know, how do I reinvent this product or service that I have to fit now the demands of my consumer and my customer. And would you You say because of the community specifically that we're speaking about, and are we still in the timeline before the shutdown? It was before, right before shutdown and even after, you know, after obviously more, you know, it, it intensified. So what were they already pivoting with how to market to a customer before things were shutting down? Like you mentioned being ahead of the game. I love that we're talking about this specifically because I haven't heard enough conversations about the impact on Asian Americans. Was there marketing advice being given for this community to keep their customers coming in before things were even hitting the fan for lack of a better expression? Right. Yes, it certainly was. And we worked with 
the San Gabriel Valley Economic Partnership in addressing this this reality, you know, this reality for us. Uh, and it was interesting because at the time it was like, well, wait a minute, you know, now we're kind of facing two things. We're facing not only these businesses being discriminated against, but also they had to really kind of shift their way of conducting business, running a little bit leaner, um, looking at their costs, looking at their employee base. You know, there's so much to running a business that, you know, they were not only faced with the normal day-to-day operational things that a business owner faces in, in running a successful business, but they also had to deal with ramifications around discrimination around specifically around that community because we didn't have enough information at the time and it was a it was a reaction it was a knee-jerk reaction from the community to just simply say well I'm not going to go there I'm not going to go and and support you know an Asian American restaurant because there was this fear and there was not and again our community didn't have enough information and so that was how they reacted, but that negatively affected these business owners. And so we, so they were facing two very delicate, big problems. And I was really, kind of, I was really proud. I mean, I was really proud of the fact that RSBDC was at the table having those discussions like, okay, how, how are we going to help? What is that going to look like? Let's onboard, let's figure something, you know. And so between us, the partnership and the Asian American uh, restaurant association you know we were able to to figure stuff out um and 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 to and to address that that it's not you know to discriminate against businesses is really not not the answer here it was more it's it's a larger issue that we were dealing with and to so they educate the community that it was about a larger issue it wasn't about these restaurants was a big lift and so we're, you know, we're still seeing, we're still doing the outreach, you know, we're still doing the, you know, educating the community. Now our communities know more, right? We have more information basically from the CDC and mm-hmm. our governor and our mayor, but there's still a lot more work to be done. But I feel like from my own perspective, I feel that some of it has settled, like the, the perceptions have settled mm-hmm. a little bit. And people really do want to go back and support the small business community. They really do want to go back and support the restaurant community. And so we're really kind of seeing a a switch, a flip in how the community is responding to the crisis now than they did right in the beginning. I think there was a lot of fear, you know, and so, and that's natural. We're humans and we're going to see the fear. Sometimes fear has unintended consequences attached to it. And that was one of the un- unintended consequences. Well put. Yeah. That's a great way so. to, to estimate that. So just to shift a little, I'm curious as a whole within your department, has this experience changed the way you create goals and how, how you might manage those outcomes than it did before all of this was happening? Has that process changed? Um, the process really hasn't changed. You know, I'll share them with you. Our goals are three things. Our goals are to promote the growth and prosperity of our business community, one. Two, to develop the current and future workforce. And then thirdly, to elevate the college's economic profile in the region. We do so in order to hit those three goals, we need to really kind of be a catalyst to identifying and creating and delivering services that will meet those goals 
And so the goals haven't changed. It's the identifying, creating, and delivery that has changed. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, we're seeing a beautiful uptick in how our students are responding to some of our, you know, virtual workshops, preparing them for the workforce. You know, we're seeing an uptick in employers engaging with us through internships. There's really, you know, employers now are seeing the value proposition and working with institutions for, you know, building up a pipeline of talent and also reskilling their current pipeline of talent. And um, our employers are still engaged. You know, they're, they're, they're still wanting to um, participate with us in, in hitting our three goals. What I've also noticed too is, and what we've had made an intentional effort around is having, you know, open job, you know, job open forum discussions, you know, allowing the, the students to kind of reach out and have space to talk about their career tracks, to talk about where could they find employment, you know, not only based on their career, but they have an immediate need. They have an immediate need to support their families um, and their households. So we've pivoted a little bit on on our outreach. It's a more intentional. But with the beauty of that, what, what came out of that was the response, the responses from our students and the responses from our employers willing and wanting to engage and willing and wanting to participate. And our numbers in participation have increased. I've literally doubled from last year. Wow, that is really interesting. Yeah. And do you think that is a direct result to the immediacy needed to to work at this time? That jobs mm-hmm. are being lost? I do. And- I, yeah, no, I, I mean, I do. I think it's, a, it's, it's an immediate response to, you know, obviously the jobs that are being lost. And, and, and then the jobs that are being reinvented and repurposed and retooled. You know, when it, right. when we have jobs and we have occupations that are being repurposed, retooled, you know, that requires a specific talent. And, and it goes to this big, you know, discussion around hiring for skills versus hiring for degrees. And that's a whole nother episode. Right. <laughs> Actually, people um, should listen to the Ramona Work Nation episode if they want to hear more about skills versus yep. degrees, because it's a great, it's, it's very lush of with that perspective. And I it's, it's told really well. So when you're done with this episode, go listen to the one previous because it's fantastic. Ramona does a great job at explaining that. But yes, can you give us an example of how employers have changed how they're interacting with education like PCC? Um, well, they're, they're interacting in, in, a, in a few different ways. One, like as I mentioned earlier, you know, they're, they're more willing to house and host interns and other work-based learning experiences because you know, this remote work has, has actually allowed us the flexibility to do so. And the other really awesome thing is now, you know, we're really kind of focusing on workforce trainings and house workforce trainings and employers are, are seeking our expertise in developing their existing workforce. So and again, an example would be, you know, we, there, there's this program called ETP, Employee Training Panel. And these are taxes that an employer pays into. And it's like, think about it as a bucket of training dollars. Well, an employer can access these training dollars to bring back to their establishment to train their, their existing employees. The tricky part of it or the clunkiness of it is that it's heavy in administrative paperwork. And so for an employer, for myself, I would just say, you know, Salvatrice has 
a manufacturing plant and in this manufacturing plant, you know, I get a new piece of equipment and I want to, you know, train my employees on it or, you know, I want to train them on the latest software something system. I may not have the talent in-house to execute that training, nor do I have the dollars. So the employer can go out to the employment training panel, the ETP, and say, hey, you know, like, you know and, and submit an application and do all that good stuff. But the issue really comes to is that employers don't have the time or the talent in-house to support trainings. So they look to institutions to help them do that. So us as an institution, we can reach out to those ETP funds, bring them back to the employers, and not only subsidize their employee training cost and their employee training time, but also provide the training that they're asking for. Right now, we are participating in what's called a COVID rapid reemployment pilot with ETP. Mm-hmm. And it does, does just that. Really focusing on the sectors of food and uh, healthcare and you know, these industries that, are, that we're seeing kind of like high employment opportunities come up. And it gives us an opportunity to access those funds to then give back to the employers for training purposes. And so we're really kind of seeing, uh, you know, I talked about it a minute ago, you know, intentional partnerships. Like these are very intentional, meaningful partnerships. There's an outcome. And so that would be obviously the, one of the best ways that, that I'm really noticing now how employers are engaging. And it's a real positive kind of, you know, takeaway from this crisis that we're in. The resources are there. And it's really kind of nice to be in the forefront of those resources to then to share out to our community. Wow, that is fantastic. I I would have never guessed that something like that existed for businesses and, and an industry to access and to partner in that way. So thank you for explaining that because I think that there are business owners listening that would love to know about this opportunity. As a business thank owner you. myself, I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> that's so interesting. <laughs> great explanation of how things are becoming really, really intentional and tuned in to what is happening and being very specific. And that said, you mentioned that it's a great positive outcome and takeaway of how things are being sort of laser focused in on these entities to help each part of the industry, whether it be education policy, people wanting to join the workforce, etc. Do you feel like this is something that can continue can we continue to hone in as much as we are now and be as this intentional is this something that that we can start to lean into more or has this always been the way that you operate well that's a really good question you know I mean, I mean in theory this is how workforce development entities any workforce development entity should be operating right that they should be working collaboratively together responding to the needs of the business community alignment with the deliverables to you know what those funding what the fundings that we're attached to so in theory theoretically you know that's how we should be functioning you know we should be functioning in that capacity and it's not to say that we have not however you know during a during a crisis like this it really forces you to say okay let's take inventory on what what we do best at Let's take inventory at what our partners do best at and let's see how we can leverage each other's assets and talents so that we can create larger impacts. There's no, you know, I've, I've noticed now more than ever that there's no 
territorial lines, if you want to call them that, you know, everyone's really in it to support and keep the vitality of our business community strong and keep the momentum around training a new workforce, keep the momentum around upskilling the existing workforce. And there's, you know, we're doing things a little bit differently naturally because of, you know, the current state of our environment, but it's really kind of forcing us to take a critical look at what are we good at and who do we need to create larger impacts. You know, the the ETP example is a good example. You know, it, institutions are really great at training. You know, we're, we're an educational institution by fault, by nature, you know, yes. <laughs> by default, you know, we, not fault, but by default, I should say, we're, we're natural trainers. That's what we do. And so by collaborate, again, by intentionally participating in a pilot like that helps us, again, really amplify our work, be yes. intentional on who we serve. You know, there's there's legitimate outcomes that come from it. That's kind of what I see as the the dynamics of our workforce agencies and entities right now. I mean, it's really beautiful work happening. I can't, I mean, I started doing this work I've done business development the majority of my career, but specifically in this in this role in you know, starting in 2018, and it has been incredible to kind of see all of all these thought leaders, all these business leaders come together and say, "Let's solve this problem together in academia, in policy, in industry," and saying, "Look, you know, there's we can't work in silos anymore." It just doesn't work. It really just doesn't work. So how are we going to do this together? And so just even that, even walking into with that mindset has been so inspirational for me to watch that unfold in front of my eyes. But it kind of really speaks to, you know, our region as a whole. I'm going to go on a tangent now. But our region, our San Gabriel Valley region is so rich in culture, is so rich in talent is so rich in people who care, leaders who care. And it's really amazing to kind of watch all of that unfold and come together for our main purpose. To watch that, you know, before and after is really kind of neat. It's really, really neat. That's amazing. That's really beautiful. And I, I relate to wanting to be a part of something that has a common goal. And it's not just a common goal for, you know, an individual or for one specific group. It's, it's for, you know, a big, big picture that can help and sort of expand inward out. Right. It has a huge effect. And every time I talk to anyone in your department, they really understand at a depth of what the effects and the outcomes that, that these mm-hmm. efforts have. And it, I agree, it is beautiful to watch. And it also seems like you know, the example you gave really shines a light on, on the leadership that education is taking and how the partnerships are really rising to the occasion to kick it into high gear, basically, and really, really use your strengths right? and lean into, like you said, what you're good at. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious if, if that has changed in any way regarding the dynamic between the entities has it changed is is are you seeing leadership happening in education or is policy needing to lead the way so that education can respond what do you what's your take on that 
that has been kind of a, a formula work in progress for such a long time. I mean, literally since 2008, <laughs> since our last recession, <laughs> about how these three main pillars work together. And there certainly has been a very specific campaigning around it has happened, very specific programming has happened around it. But as it sits right now, how I view it, my perception, again, this is my perception, is policy needs to help us in help us education be more responsive, more rapid, more agile, and more flexible. And we then need to take that very seriously. We as institutions need to take that very seriously and respond to what industry is asking from us. So policy, again, paves the way for us to do our work in a very streamlined way while still listening and communicating with industry. So that's really how I kind of see the formula. Is it perfect? Yeah, I, I mean, is it perfect? No, it's it's not perfect. You know, there's there's it's never going to be perfect. But so long as as leaders such as ourselves, as long as we continue to work towards that and we acknowledge and are aware that this is kind of the path that needs to happen, then slowly but surely we start breaking down barriers and we create more access for our community. And and that's that's really what we need to do. Again, policy paves the way, removes the barriers so that education can do their work in a streamlined way and provide access for all while still listening to our industry and their needs. Well, that sounds like a perfect model, in my opinion. (laughs) That sounds exactly like how it should work. So that's something that's important to, to mention, I think, is the question often is how do we affect change? And, you know, really, I think in a lot of cases, it points to policy first. And I just want to emphasize that. So thank you for for commenting on that and and laying out the formula for us. Sure, you're welcome. So we have talked to a lot of partners in policy and business on the podcast now, and you are now one of our experts (laughs) in this episode (laughs) that has shared their predictions of how work and the preparation and pathways to joining the workforce is being impacted and will be impacted in the future. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what, what do you think we have to look forward to in the future? Good question. I I think we have to look forward to more of this, you know, this that we're experiencing, this emphasis around intentionality and programming with a very specific end goal of employment. That's going to be around for a really long time. I mean, it, and, and it has to be full, to be fully honest. I mean, it really has, like I said earlier in 2008, when we hit a recession, you know, we know that during a recession, also, we know that community colleges do really well during recessions because folks are going back to, to school to, you know, reeducate, look into a new career or get a very specific um, certification so they can move their way up the latter within their existing establishment that they're working for. But this particular experience that we're, what we're faced with right now, my prediction is that there's going to be more policy around intentional programming with very specific angles of policy, uh, with uh, very specific angles of employment. There's going to be, you know, just, you know, evaluation of our work and really focusing on, when I say evaluation of the work, I mean evaluation of our programs and our partnerships. Like people are watching, people are paying attention. 
Yes, as yes, as they should, as they should. I I don't see I don't see that going away at all, um, and that should really be the primary goal of of our workforce arenas is is doing just that intentional programming with very specific end goals of employment. Fantastic. I hope that things keep honing in and laser focusing like they're like we're having to do now. It seems to be serving the goal like you said, really intentionally. So I just have a few more questions for you. And these are advice for who's listening. Now, this has been difficult for for all of us on some level. You know, how do we stay motivated in a time like this when things are ongoing and ultimately unpredictable? You know, I, I particularly stay motivated because there is a need, there is a call to action there is this desire to serve. And so I really kind of hone in on that. I hone in on that I'm naturally wired to serve. And I really look for pockets of opportunities to do that and then to create system changes. Like us as leaders, I mean, now is really the best time to do that and not ask for permission because there's no room for that. You know, we need to be responsive and rapid and, and relevant. And so what motivates me is again, looking for those pockets of opportunities that create system changes, you know, new channels of learning, new channels of delivering services, you know, and really changing our mindset around situations and being really solution based versus always looking at things, you know, with the, with the glass half empty. And that's not going to serve us well as leaders. And it's really kind of situations like these that really fortunately and unfortunately amplifies a disconnect or the, or the malfunctions of our system. So what a better time to fix them than now? Because there is no other now. Like, we just have to do it now. That's great. So do you have any advice getting through your day? Like, just getting through a busy, overwhelming day to to tackle these, what could could feel almost unattainable outcomes at times. But knowing that there's, there's a bigger picture, knowing that you're motivated to do it, how do you just, day by day, how do you get through it? That's a good question. You know, <laughs> I really put some, put some thought behind it. It's really two things for me. It's one, listening to understand. You know, clearly listening to what is being expressed by our community so that I can properly respond. Not only listening to understand to our community, but listening to understand to our other leaders, listening to understand to my team, listening to understand, not to respond. Um, and the other thing really is always looking for the silver lining. I, I mean, I've done this my entire life, both personally and professionally in, in that looking for the silver lining in the chaos that we're confronted with at times helps me and it forces me to kind of pause and be still because nine out of 10 times without fail, that silver lining always becomes my focus mm-hmm. and it directs my leadership and it becomes a solution to a problem I'm trying to solve. That's beautiful. Yeah. So those two things have really kind of helped me navigate these times, again, both personally and professionally. That's wonderful. That That's a great takeaway. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Is there anything that you want to share that Workforce Development is working on or that your department is working on that you want people to know about? Yeah, I mean, this is a great time to share, right? Yes. (laughs) Always want to share good stuff happening. We've, so we've done really well with the SPD. The SPDC 
is phenomenal. They're working great. They're, you know, they're working on folks, they're working with the business community, helping them with their business models and accessing funding and all that good stuff, right? Consulting on business growth. Then we have, you know, our Freeman team, our Freeman Center, which is also known as a career center and other institutions. You know, they're doing excellent work around preparing our current talent for the workforce. I think that our opportunity is right now is continuing to do the work around you know, diligently aligning our industry needs with curriculum. That's one. And then secondly would be really building out our just-in-time training or on-demand training for the existing workforce. So what do I mean by that? I mean going into establishments and helping them retrain their employees to either learn a new, new, learn a new skill or to upgrade a skill or to simply just help them retain their talent. We have an opportunity there. So we, that's what we're working on right now. We're really working on building that corporate, corporate college model. You know, we have pilots going on right now, one that I mentioned with ETP and others. And so that's, that's, that's our focus. And uh, we really would love to hear from employers on what their, what their needs are so that we can kind of build those just-in-time, on-demand workforce trainings. And then thirdly uh, is our Future of Work Conference. I mean, last year we had a phenomenal success on our Future of Work Conference, and we're gradually putting that together for this year, happening in November. More to come on that. And I just want to interrupt you to say that there are lots of episodes from that event that people can listen to if they're interested to know what went on there. And if you want to participate, that's a great way to find out the conversation that was going on and and to really get a a good drop in of what what we did last year. Yep. Yep. Very good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, You know, this year we're going to focus on three main themes, reinventing our CTE skills for hire. And entrepreneurship in 2021. I mean, those are three kind of general themes that we're working on for this year's conference. But we're very excited about it. Again, more to come on that. You know, please do. Like, please do. To your point, please do listen back to the to the past Future of Work conference so you can kind of hear the outcomes of that as well. Definitely. So how can people reach you or the department to participate in these ventures you just described to us? Sure. Folks can reach us, reach me directly via email at... Um, S-C-U-M-M-O at Pasadena.edu or they can certainly just find us on the web, you know, Pasadena.edu forward slash E-W-D and you'll find my contact information there, anything that we're working on. Inquiries, if you have inquiries, please do reach out to us. We want to hear them all. Awesome. We'll put all of that in the show notes as well so it'll make it easy for everyone to click on and you won't have to go searching. Thank you, Salvatrice, for this conversation. It was so informative. I feel like people will really get a a better understanding of the work that you're doing and how people can get involved in how we're serving the workforce and industry and policy and education. So thank you for being here with me today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast presented by Pasadena City College. If you'd like to get involved and have resources to share or be a guest on the show, you can find a link to our webpage to reach out to us in the show notes. Also, don't forget to subscribe and tell us your thoughts about the show. This helps more people like you discover the podcast and you can look forward to new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts.